Need a few minutes to reset? Great Minds is a podcast from SBS that guides you through different meditation styles from around the world. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hello. You're on with Nick and Fiona. You get an opportunity to work at the Taj Hotel. You've hit the jackpot. Welcome to The Playlist, where we talk about movies and TV shows that are worth your time. I'm Fiona Williams, and I'm joined by my co-host, Nick Bassine. Hey, Nick, what are we talking about today? Fiona, today we're talking about Hotel Mumbai. We've got an interview with its star, Dev Patel, and its director, Anthony Maras. And we are talking about a new show on SBS Australia in Colour, as well as... Captain Marvel, which you may have heard of. I'm aware of it. Still a movie passing through the theaters. But first, Hotel Mumbai. Terrorists have laid siege to the landmark Taj. With as many as a thousand guests and over 500 staff trapped inside. We should try to gather whoever we can. Many of you have families at home. There is no shame in leaving. I've been here 35 years. This is my home. I don't know how many there are, where they are. Local police are simply not trained to deal with attacks of this magnitude. So this is a dramatization of the 2008 terrorist attacks in Mumbai, which spread out over the city, kind of held the city under siege for an extended period of time. Over Um, days, wasn't it? Many, many days, yeah. This focuses on the Taj Hotel, where the employees and guests were held hostage by um, several terrorists. It reminded me of a kind of Paul Greengrass type of, um, I mean, because he happened to make that another movie about terrorism, but um, mm. but it's that that kind of a little bit of uh, in-your-face handheld camera, super intense, can't breathe for two hours kind of a thing. Yeah, for sure. Like it's a very you-are-there kind of way of shooting. Well, it's probably no coincidence that, a lot of it is inspired by the documentary about the real events um, right. called Surviving Mumbai. And, yeah, it's that kind of ticking clock. You're following the stories of multiple people and then you realise how connected they might be within the siege. It's a kind of a bold reminder of those events and I, I think a lot of people would have seen them on the news at the time, but it's it's been, you know, over 10 years now and at least I had forgotten how long the siege went for and how intense say, it was and how crazy it was for a while. Same. I Yeah, I remember it, having seen it, the news breaks, of course. But yeah, same. I did not realise how long it went. It doesn't let up for its duration until the very end. And everyone is, is pretty good in it. I thought I, I, I thought Dave Patel was, was really good. Army Hammer, um, Nazani Modiadi, I thought she was really good. And Tilda Copham Harvey is in it as well. You may know from 52 Tuesdays, Australian actress. And Jason Isaacs is in it as well as a oh, yes. kind of a <laughs> yeah. bad guy starting out as a you know misogynistic jerk. And, uh, yeah, he may or may not have a character arc. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to avoid spoilers in that respect, but, uh, yeah. Now this is a – it's an Australian – Production or co-production. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Anthony Morris is Australian, the director, as we'll hear in a moment. Parts of it were shot in Adelaide. Right. It's all set within the hotel pretty much. Um, You do follow the backstories of some of the terrorists as they make their way to the hotel and some of the guests, you see them sort of checking in and around the streets of Mumbai. But largely you're within the hotel for the duration of the film. Yeah, and some of those scenes, like there's backstairs and things like that, Shot in the canteen at Adelaide Film Studios and whatnot. So, yeah, 
interesting to <laughs> get that backstory, but it, it does feel quite tense. You're in the middle of it all. The movie raises a whole bunch of issues about class and things, mm. and um, it which was, we get into with yeah, David Tell. And it was really, really, yeah, really interesting talking to them about it. Mm. Um, should we? Um, yes, why not? So here is director and co-writer Anthony Morass and star Dev Patel. Um, Dev and Anthony, thank you so much for joining us on the playlist. Thanks for having us. Thank you. So uh, watching this movie periodically, I was wondering, you know, is that how this happened, or from whom did they get this account? I was just wondering how you adapted a real-life story into this narrative? Um, we started with a documentary called Surviving Mumbai. It was made by Australian crew. They were some of the first on the ground after the attacks happened. And they did a pretty forensic set of... Forensic's not the right word, but they did a whole lot of interviews with real-life survivors, guests and staff of the hotel. And the the documentary really pulled me in, but it was seeing the unedited footage of the interviews of the many people who were involved that really hooked me, the different stories that sort of came together. And after that, my co-writer and I, John Colley, went to India, went to Mumbai. We spent over a month in the Taj Hotel itself. We got to walk the corridors and the ballrooms and the real-life places. These events sort of happened in, in between interviews with many of the different staff who still work in the hotel. And then, you know, in person and in Skype and, you know, other video chats, we interviewed other people throughout different parts of the world who are elsewhere but who also survived the attacks. And, guests. you know, guests, staff, police, other people who were in and around Mumbai when it happened, we didn't just concentrate in our research phase and the people who were stationed in the hotel. There were over 12 sites across Mumbai that it happened in. There were you know, people who had different experiences throughout the city that we just tried to be as open as, and receptive as possible. We didn't have a preconceived notion of what the film would be from the outset. It was like a, you know, a hell of a lot of time listening. It was over eight months of workshopping just the bones of the story before we ever got into script or anything like that, you know, doing many interviews, reading many accounts. And, you know, it sort of organically came from there. Like we were trying to... I guess, offer an insight into what it would feel like to have to experience these events and to try and um, tell a bigger story of what happens when people from all walks of life come together in this pressure cooker of a situation. I don't just mean the guests and the staff, but also the gunmen, you know, and, right. um, yeah. OK. And, Dev, um, what's your recollection of the events and, like, where were you when, when you heard about what happened? And I guess that follows into... What, what made you want to participate in this film? What made you want to...? Yeah, I mean, uh, I have very deep connection with India. Uh, you know, it's part of my cultural heritage. I, you know, I just finished shooting Slumdog. I think we pr were promoting it around the world and uh, came back home. Uh, I remember entering my house and my parents were in front of the television crying and they were watching the... It wasn't at the hotel, but I remember the news footage was uh, the, these young gunmen um, opening fire at the uh, Victoria Terminus train station, which is kind of the last scene of Slumdog, you know, this massive celebration of humanity and life. And I remember shooting there, you know, we shot there for many nights and just seeing so many, you know, children and women and men, you know, disembarking and going places. And then, and it was really electric and alive. And to, to, to see the aftermath of what had happened really was... Uh, shook me to my core and, and then so you know when, when I heard there was a film being made uh, it was uh, meeting Anthony and seeing his passion but also I grilled him and really was like let me see if this guy's really gonna and he he wanted to tell it authentically he, wa he wanted 
it to be a raw account and not this kind of Hollywood diehard version of it, you know, where all the movie stars survive and it's not black and white, it's there's shades of grey in it and I was excited by that. I thought, yeah, this is the right way to do this if we're going to do it. So there, there are some moments in the movie, like uh, the guest is God kind of attitude that sort of evoke like a, an old, older way of, of thinking, maybe a little hints of colonialism and, uh, and Absolutely, yeah. a lot of that sort of thing. And I wonder how you um, prepare or how that, what kind of thinking goes into people's perceptions. Like there's a little bit of a cringe yeah. when you watch some of that yeah. stuff. And we, we cringe because of how lucky yeah, yeah, we are sure. to live the way we live, you know. Yeah. But uh, if you're born in a slum in Mumbai and uh, you get an opportunity to work at the Taj Hotel, you've hit the jackpot. That's what came from a lot of these interviews, you know. It was a bastion of success in India. It was one of the, it was the first building in Mumbai to get electricity. You know, when you're from a slum and you can barely feed your child and you get to put on this magical cloak, which is your uniform, and you enter this palace uh, and you're pouring blue label vodka and hearing these languages and people doing business. And these are from the interviews we did. You understand from this person's perspective what an honor it is to work there. And yes, for us, we're like, oh my God, guest is God, that's a bit much, but this is what they yeah, were taught. Right. And that was the level of commitment to the staff that made these men take baking trays to their chests and run out in front of the AK-47s to help people. And yes, it's left over from colonialism. Yes, it's to do with education. Yes, it's to do with a massive, much bigger political situation. But what we do as filmmakers is we go in there and we excavate what we can and, 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 and try and weave together a narrative that can not only entertain but really educate people. Yeah. It's also, and it's, and it's beyond that, it's, it's also not just people from the slums that are working there. You know, to work at the Taj is one of the biggest honours that you can have as a young man in India. Here's a good example of it. Um, I top productions was the Indian line producers on our films. <laughs> so they did Slumdog, they did Zero Dark Thirty, they did Life of Pi, you know, big, well-off company. Pranav Sani is the son of the man who owns ITOP and he's 25 and he's one of the best producers that you could imagine, you know, line producer that you could imagine working with. And I asked him where he went to film school because he was telling me all this inside information about the Taj and what they do and how they do things. I used a lot of that in the script. So how do you, how do you know about all this? And he goes, because I worked at the Taj. Really? How long? Two years. Why did you work at the Taj? And he goes, ask my father that. Because I wanted him to be respected, I wanted him to learn values, and if he's at the Taj for two years, he goes anywhere in India, we want to hire that guy. So you can call it cultural cringe, you can call it, ugh, it's different. It's, you know, if you look back to New York 100 years ago, or London 200 years ago, there was social mobility. There was a place where you could come as an immigrant and you could rise up. Mumbai is full of people that come from all over India, with like this dream of rising up, there's a there's like a furore in the air. I don't know if that's the right word, but there's there's an energy in the air, and that's typified by the Taj. It's a it's a place where it's more than just it's way more than just a job. Harvard Business Review teamed up with a team of psychologists to try and figure out, and you can read the article what it was about the people inside the Taj, the staff members inside the Taj who decided, not one or two of them, not in an organised way, but en masse, to stay, to remain, to help their guests. And that's one of the questions we tried to answer the film. Yes, you can look at it and saying these are old cultural divisions where you have, you know, supplicant staff members who are just remaining in their caste-like modes to protect their wealthy guests. And maybe that's your point of view, but if you go and speak to the people who lived through it, 
maybe it's unconscious, but they remain because this is our family. You know, the butler who says I've been here 35 years can show you a butler who actually looks a lot like the guy who we <laughs> cast who said the exact same thing, who lived through it. Like, they take it as an immense source of pride that they're part of this institution. And some of the stories are unbelievable. It's yeah. unbelievable that someone put fucking baking trays down their, down their uh, shirts in a futile attempt to try and stop yeah. bullets, but yeah. they did it. Yeah. It's also about a home, you know, it's like you're coming to our country and you're staying in our hotel and we want to be hospi hospitable to you and show you good Indian hospitality, yeah, yeah. you know, they're proud of where they come from. Yeah. So that was Anthony Morass and Dave Patel. Yes, and obviously we would have liked to have a lot more time with them, yes. but uh, we had our allocated seven minutes and we got the wind up. So this is not the kind of film where it's hi, how was it? Did you have a great time on set? What have you been watching? It, you know, there's a lot to talk about here and sadly we didn't get that much time with him. Yeah. But uh, that was a great answer from Dave, I think. Yeah, I thought I thought he did very did very well with that because it was making me a little uncomfortable throughout yeah. the movie, but yeah. but it made sense. I, I loved his answer. Yeah. Also in the film, it does follow the, in a limited way, the backstories of the terrorists. Um, and watching it, I was uncomfortable, but that it's not the film's fault. But, you know, there is an element of the Australian population who have very fixed views about people of the Muslim faith. And going into this film, they're probably not going to be dissuaded of that. Like if you... Well, no. It's, it, which makes me uncomfortable, but that's not the film's fault. That's, that's no, on that's... all of the xenophobes, to be honest. And... Nazneen Boriati is Muslim in the film, and so it does show her practicing her faith. Um, is that from a non-terrorist perspective? Of course, yes, yes. Yeah, um, I Look. mean, if you're going to tell a terrorism story, a Muslim terrorism yeah. story, I mean, this is if people come out of this fired I, up, and yeah, I mean, I, I mean that then they they've they they're already kind of lost. You know, it's not yes. a movie. A movie's not. No. Going to make it worse. It's not here to change hearts and minds, but it sat a little uncomfortably with me. But, of course, it's always on the xenophobes for their xenophobia. Like, yeah. that is that is on them. Yeah. What, what did you think of the film broadly? You know, it's hard to say, oh, I loved it. I just loved this movie <laughs> because it's so intense. And for two hours, you're getting beaten over the head with horror. And and uh, But I, I think it's, it's very effective. Mm. Even something like uh, United 93, mm. it's hard to say that you're I think it's really well done, and this is really well done, but it's, yeah, it's brutal. It is, and I think the fact that it does make you feel tense, and, like, if a film makes you feel, then oh, yeah, I think it's effective it's, in what it does, job, and that's, yeah. that's good, yeah. It's worth seeing. Oh, for sure, Absolutely. yeah. Absolutely. Um, and you can, because Hotel Mumbai is in cinemas now. So the next thing we wanted to talk about is a kind of a different approach to history, much older history, Australia in Colour which is a documentary series on SBS. It takes lots of old, iconic black and white footage and colorizes it. Before your eyes. Which, you know, may not sound all that exciting to you oh, by uh, our descriptions, but it really does bring the footage alive. Yeah, I don't want to undersell it. I think yeah. this process is amazing mm. and it's incredible to look at. It's amazing. And um, some of this footage, you know, it goes right back to the first filmed moments in Australia's history. It tells the story of federation and it doesn't pull its punches either about Australia's treatment of Indigenous populations. That's very much woven into this story, whereas, you know, other History of Australia documentaries eliminate that, <laughs> much like Indigenous people have been eliminated from history, from white history. So what I loved about this was it tells the story in a frank and forthright way and it uses footage, some of which you are familiar with, that 
comes to life through colour in a way you haven't seen before. But also there's other kind of footage that we haven't seen that then is illustrated in a way that people pop. <laughs> and it's it's strange just to know that applying colour to these images, still photos and film, give you a new way of seeing it. What are some of the more um, the iconic stuff that, that people have seen? Um, I think the one we've seen a lot, and um, I think it's even been used in bank ads or something maybe, but it's it's iconic footage of the dancing man who was in the enormous victory celebrations in at the end of World War II. There's a man who was dancing down Elizabeth Street in Sydney and, um, yeah, he just does this great whirly... A soldier? No, no, no. Uh, oh. He's in sort of like business pants and a tie. Well, everyone dressed like that in those days. So, you know, you know well-dressed man with his hat and sort of doing a... Do- a ha- doffing a happy his jig? hat. Yeah, with a jig. Yeah, jig's a good word for that. Yeah. Brilliant footage and he comes to life in colour. So he gets a new new right. lease on life through through that process. Is too. that the Australian version of that um the naval officer kissing that woman in yeah. Times Square? Yeah, very much so. Nice. Uh Annette Kellerman, the the swimmer, this is in the first episode, you know, this iconic swimmer who got into so much trouble for wearing a bathing suit in America and um, she was in a nudie film. Yeah, you see her swimming in colour, whereas we haven't before. Yeah, but the the colourisation process is fascinating in itself and the way it is intensely attempting to replicate true colours from just shades of grey, really, in the original black and white footage. Have you seen the Peter Jackson movie? I haven't, and I know you interviewed him. In a yeah, so I did. That's right. I had the good fortune to uh, to talk to him um, about it. And he said it's it's not a matter of a strict one and done kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Good colorization just takes lots and lots of time, and that's why there's been good and bad colorization in the past. I forget when what time period it was. Was it in the 70s or 80s where they started colorizing old, old movies, movies and they looked terrible? The hair always looked blue no matter what yeah, color yeah, yeah. it was originally. There was always a weird outline on people. Yeah. yeah. So it seemed like is, a filter had been applied, you know. Right. In a simplistic way of talking about it, but So this is more about going over the film um over and over again and and so it's doing a good job is just, is just more time consuming and mm. Peter Jackson said that's why. Um, more people didn't do it. It just took a lot of time and effort. Yeah. I, I love this kind of stuff um, because all of that footage, so much of it, even the the Peter Jackson movie, we're so removed from it and it, it doesn't feel real in, in, in a way mm. because um, because it's such the distant past and the way it just doesn't look like reality. Like we know reality to look now and even even on screen, the way that this colorization is done. It puts you there in in a way that I've I've never felt, mm. you know, as present, like in, even in an old movie or something, you know. Yeah, that's true. Also worth noting, um, our guide through this incredible history of Australia is the dulcet tones of Mr. Hugo Weaving. Lovely voice, isn't it though? So you can watch Australia in Color uh, Wednesdays at eight thirty on SBS. There are two episodes already up on SBS on demand. You can stream them right now. And if you want a bit of a deeper dive into Australia in Colour, head to sbs.com.au slash guide and we've got some episode-specific articles and more detail about how they've actually colourised history. Now we here at The Playlist turn to another Marvel movie. We're 21 in? um, 22? Sure. (laughs) And with no end in sight. (laughs) Well, is that true? Well, I'm sure they'll be rebooted um, Mm. There's a big end in sight for the Avengers. Oh, uh, for this, whatnot. yeah, 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 for this stretch. Yeah, what will happen after that? They got more coming down the pipe. <laughs> You're right. Mia culpa. So Captain Marvel, starring Brie Larson as Captain Marvel, she's a superhero. So you're not from around here. It's hard to explain. 
keep having these memories. I see flashes. I think I had a life here. But I can't tell if it's real. We have no idea what threats are out there. We can't do this alone. We need you. I'm not what you think I am. So Brie Larson plays Carol Danvers, who is a U.S. Army pilot. She uh, suddenly finds herself on a, another planet, and she's got some, some powers, and Jude Law is helping her contain those powers. And then eventually she realizes who she is and uh, what she's capable of and um, becomes Captain Marvel. And look out world. Yes. Because they're all interconnected. It's a Marvel. What is it? MCU? MCU, yeah. Marvel. Comics? Comics? Cinematic universe. All right, good. We would have got letters. Yeah, so they're all interconnected. And, you know, for those who saw The Last Avengers, which I want to call Avengers Infinity War. Correct. The one I got popcorn salt in my eye and got teary because of the popcorn (laughs) salt. Um, That's the only way I remember them. Uh, At the end of that, you would recall. How did you get popcorn salt in your eye? Well, I had it on my finger and I must have wiped my eye. Oh, there you go. All right. There's an episode about that. (laughs) Not about that. Anyway, I digress. That was the one at the end. Nick Fury, Samuel L. Jackson's character, sent out an SOS when everything was going down at the end of that movie on his pager to some symbol. What the hell does that mean? It was explained to me that that was Captain Marvel. Yes. Yeah, I didn't know that 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 was Captain Marvel. I thought actually it looked a little bit like Wonder Woman because it's kind of a W or an M. Who knows? Wrong universe. Yeah, totally wrong universe. And this movie is the story of how Samuel Jackson gets that uh, pager. <laughs> it's, a, it's a thrill ride in terms of pager acquiring drama. Very much so. In a nutshell. Yes. Sure. And there's a bit of backstory about Captain Marvel, how she became that person. Let me ask you this. Do <laughs> yes. you care about that backstory? Um, it's an or- This is an origin yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. film, yeah. right? So yeah. it has to talk about how she starts. Yeah. Well, of course, having sent that SOS, like we don't get any more progression really on what is going to go down in the Avengers next movie where right. the, everyone's there. Clearly she will play a role. Yeah. We know that. Yeah. She's going to be prominent there because all of the established superheroes are weakened by the big... Um, Thanos. Yes. Oh, basic and, and apocalypse he, that happened at yeah, the end of that movie. Yeah, he's killed half the yeah. universe. It's wiped out half of them and yeah. most of the population. So everyone else is weakened. So who is this incredible superhero, the one to end them all, who's going to come into this movie. So, of course, we need to know her backstory to care. Yeah, I guess In inverted so. commas. Yeah. I made the movie drag for me and- uh, What did? Backstory. All the backstory and because- But what were you expecting? I was expecting to have more fun. Okay. And she, it doesn't become fun until she starts uh He's moving fighting. his hands very wildly. She realizes how much power she has and she starts doing- Fun stuff. Yes. Until then. But they're all like that. All the movies are that. Yeah. I, well. Iron Man was definitely that. It wasn't until he built his big suit to Yeah, that's true. And... I guess I guess uh, maybe my, my problem is with doing the origin story. Also, I have no connection. I, I didn't read all the comics for this character. I don't know anything about. Um... I don't think I need to say, but same. <laughs> and so I, I'm not, I wasn't that invested in that. And I just thought they were trying it just wasn't that funny and fun and uh, until she starts blasting people. Mm. And also, 
I've just got a huge bias against aliens when aliens come into the picture. I don't like uh, I don't like going out into space. I want superheroes grounded in a reality that I can um, recognize, which is why I like Batman and Spider Man because they're just okay in and the they're city. regular people. Yeah, with clever suits. Oh, actually, he got bitten by a spider, didn't those yeah. webs aren't the suit? Yeah, so he's but he's he's a regular he's just a regular kid from the neighborhood. <laughs> um. I guess it's good to know. I, I learned things about that character that I didn't know before. But, you know, the Kree and the Skrulls and the, I mean, what is going on? Who cares about that stuff? Did you care about it? Well, I knew what I signed up for. You signed up for a Kree, Skrull, um, <laughs> sociopolitical. If there were no Kree or Skrull, I was out of there. Um, no, but. Did you laugh? Did you have? Did you have- no. But I rarely do. And on a, <laughs> I never laugh. <laughs> no, I mean, in these, I wasn't expecting a wisecracking. It was wisecracking, though, wasn't it? There were attempts at that, which, yeah, I agree, actually. They didn't fully work. The bit with the cat. There's Did a you cat. love that? Yeah, no. Um, also, the Marvel way of doing things that kind of piss me off, and that's why I don't like the Guardians movies, because these are the worst offenders in my book. The way it deals with. References and like Guardians does it with 80s and 70s music and calls attention to it with mm. basically the cinematic version of a neon flashing sign. This one does it with the 90s. Oh, um, so many 90s references, the blockbuster yeah. and yeah, which those ones are fine. It's more like when things take a while to load or there's a CD ROM and it's it's insane. But the Marvel way of doing it is to call it out and have a moment where you have, <laughs> of course, that's why yeah. it's, it's just it's a minor gripe, but I don't. Love it. It's enough to have it there without calling things out because it's it's very much set in the nineties. It's you know nineties indie music that you don't really hear in movies because movies have been very much fixated on the eighties for a long time. Um, those were fine. I didn't leave with a rush or anything like that. It was much like the other Marvel origin movies to me, and that's neither here nor there. They're fine. They yeah, that's exactly the narrative. How I felt. You look yeah. okay. That happened. What's next? And do stick around to the very end. The credits seem like they're going for a long time. There is one more at the end. And I wonder whether you didn't connect to it because the way Brie Larson, the character is, she's a pilot, a soldier, whereas other characters are kind of, they're all personality and whatnot. She's kind of internal and adapting to things and like it's kind of her standard operating procedure kind of way she plays it. So she's observing not so much outwardly. Like, you know, it's much latch on to her. You watch, you learn things as she learns them, kind of. It's she's like passive. Finding. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like, in the way a soldier would be. So she's playing it fine. She's playing it well. I think she had to work extra hard because for most of the movie, she's, the character doesn't know her own strength. Yeah. Doesn't remember anything pre. Yes. Her, her memory's gone, right? Yeah. When she got her powers. Yeah. She doesn't remember her childhood on Earth or whatever. Mm. Or you see some flashes of, of her as a young girl. Yeah, there is a very jumpy narrative. You have to piece um, things together. And so she's piecing her life together for most of the movie until it finally clicks. And then she realizes who she who she is, what happened to her. And, and then she starts flying around. And up until then, yeah, I thought she was doing a lot of wisecracking, a lot of here's my personality. Mm. So hopefully you guys will be entertained. Her and Sam Jackson... That repartee, That's I true. guess they were yep. they were just leaning heavily on that, and like you would in in an, I guess it's it's yeah, it just comes back to the origin film thing. Mm. I left feeling like yeah, it's all right. I'm looking forward to the next one now, mm. but I just didn't like feeling that way because it was with all of these movies. There's so much. I mean, these are the biggest movies of the year, mm. and I just want. I, I guess I just want 
I want a lot. Especially yeah. after Infinity War, I thought was very good the way they managed 500 heroes yeah. uh, and all those different storylines. And I, yeah. I thought they did a good job of that. And so this felt, I'm not that invested in the Ant-Man movies. Have you been watching those? I haven't seen an Ant-Man one. Mm. I, I think mean, they're good. I don't know. They're, uh, yeah, you know, so they're all right. They're funny. Paul okay. Rudd, Paul Rudd is, you know, charismatic. For the final third, when she is really embracing all of her powers, that stuff is, I thought that was very good. When she's Captain Marvel. Yes. Prona- yes, we're supposed to pronounce the it second, that. Uh, oh my God, with these alien pronunciations. Symbol. So I, I loved that. I thought her mm. flying around, that was great. Flying through um, spaceships, fun. And then at the end, they tease you with what's going to happen um, in mm. the next Avengers movie. Fun, great. Can't wait to watch her beat up Thanos. That's going to be a lot of fun. Mm. But I, mean, I just had to sit through a, a big origin story I didn't care about to get to that. Okay. See, this one is directed by two directors who come from a very indie Yeah, very backstory. different kind of movies. Yeah, very much so. So the directors are Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck, who I know mostly from Mississippi Grind, that had a friend of the show and supporting actor in Captain Marvel, who we haven't mentioned, Ben Mendelsohn. Uh, that was with Ryan uh, Reynolds. Um, and they also wrote but didn't direct Half Nelson with um, the Nelson other Canadian Ryan, uh, Mr. Gosling. Yeah. Yes. So they bring a very indie sensibility. And you can actually see it in the touches of when um, Captain Marvel, when she's Carol, is reconnecting back with her childhood friend and whatnot. There's nice little indie yes. flourishes that would not be out of place in a Sundance movie or in a smaller American independent film. So I, I like that. Marvel is hiring directors who oh, don't great. come from absolutely. the stock as a rock, stable. Oh, absolutely. That's great. Yeah. And I'm very uh, intrigued with an upcoming film, The Black Widow one, I think, which is going to be directed by Kate Shortland, Australia's own. Oh, yeah. Very indie, like Australian film industry, indie career to date. Wait, so that Scarlett Johansson? Yeah. She's getting her own movie yeah. as well? Yeah. Oh, all right. Which I guess is her backstory and may suggest, well, where's that coming in the um, Avengers yeah, I mean, Infinity Look, I don't this know. This stuff is exhausting. But that's another Let, one. Can I ask you a question? Yes. <clears throat> so there is a scene where Brie Larson is kicking butt to Just a Girl by No Doubt. Yep. Do you remember that moment? Yes. Did you find that condescending? No. Because, I mean, throughout it, there's references to, like, there's a, another pilot who suggests she, she should never be a pilot because why do you think they call it a cockpit? Um it, yeah, it, even like those, it's, it's aware of its own um, – it's self-aware of the fact that it's a female superhero. We really don't get many of them, certainly not in the Marvel Universe. Sorry, Scarlet. Yes, but that pointing to it like that, like with that fight and with those kinds of moments, the cockpit, mm. that kind of stuff, I felt like it, it almost diminishes it. And it puts it in a box almost. Like it's not, we're not watching just a regular superhero movie. We're watching, like, oh, yes, so she, this is a girl kicking butt. And when girls yeah. kick butt, they have to play that song, Just a Girl. Like I just don't. Sure. No, no, I, I totally understand what you're saying. I think it is a nod back to the cockpit diss. Like in her story, she's been told she can't do things. And her friend talks to the fact that they were overlooked for things. So it's kind of her moment to go, well, here you go. It's a great, like it's a feisty song. <laughs> to use in a fight song. scene, no matter who you are doing the kicking of the butt. I wouldn't go so far as to call it condescending, but yeah, it's it's aware of the moment and yeah, you might roll your eyes. Because if you were going to do I that, think, yeah, so I rolled my eyes yeah. and if you if you were going to do that, embrace that, I, I think 
you make a lot more of it. Like make make a lot more of what she had to go through as a female pilot, because God knows, you know, there's all kinds of mm. horrible things that, that that people have to go through. And just kind of tossing in the '90s hit with the the fight scene. I, uh, yeah, I just didn't sit well but with me. In that way, it didn't do what I accused of doing in other ways of like there's no calling out of the fact they're using that song in the scene. You know how I was saying sort of like they they do it, but then they go the extra level and someone comments on yeah, the doing right. of it. It At least in that scene they didn't. Like someone like would be fight. turning it off on the stereo or yeah, something. So Sorry, the, wrong song. Same guy who said the cockpit, not on my watch or yeah, yeah. something like that it might have done. <laughs> anyway, it didn't. So, no, I didn't have a problem with that as much as okay. you did, yeah. I thought Ben Mendelsohn was really good. That's he it. is good. He's the comic He's relief, funny. Yeah, for sure. Sometimes kind of funny. Using his Australian accent for its weirdness, yeah. you know how like oh, I was it because he is an alien. It sort of stands out as a bit like oh, they normally they might have a Brit in that role, but it's oh, right, right. He, interesting. He leans on his accent to be just that little bit off center, and and he's just the strange right. one. Also, it's the kind of movie where. There's a lot of signposting through the casting and not to give too much away, but when you cast Jude Law as a good guy, you know something else. He's probably <laughs> going to have another arc to the story. Just yeah. saying. <laughs> um, I yes. think um, I, I would want to mention that uh, my eight-year-old uh, loved it. Uh, okay. And it's uh, it's his favourite uh, Marvel movie. <laughs> so I, I kept asking him, is it better than – he loved Black Panther. Is it better than Black Panther? Yep. Better, love her powers. She's great. I saw Avengers with him. That's right. That's <laughs> I mean, you right. were there too. Yeah. Um, but is it a matter of it's the last one he saw, therefore it's the best one he's seen? He's totally doing recency bias. Yeah. I mean, it's I, I'm trying to. I think maybe one of the Captain Americas he likes more, one of those movies. But otherwise, this is the best thing. Uh, he, he was just, even though the powers stuff is on, just get a in the last third. But yeah, but loved, it finishes with that, it. so that's a, that's yeah, yeah, what exactly. you go out with. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it didn't start with it, no, and then he was loving it. One yeah. down. So there you um, go. And he was he came with us to the hotel Mumbai interviews. Didn't didn't get to ask a question, but My remember God, that's yeah. right, he was. <laughs> yeah. His yeah, you can you can see his handprints all over this episode. <laughs> this one goes out to you, Benicio. Benicio. Yes. <laughs> so Captain Marvel is in theaters now. It's raking in the dough. It's on every half. If you want to give them more of your money, please uh, feel free to do so. I paid for it. I went to gold class. You really paid for I it. Did. Yeah, I know. It's $100 a ticket. Yeah, right. When you had the beer and nachos, yeah. <laughs> so now we come to the part of the show where we talk about what we've been watching. Fiona, what have you been watching? Well, like a lot of people, I think I've been watching Living Neverland, the uh, two-part documentary about two boys, Wade Robson and Jimmy Safechuck, now grown men, and their revelations about abuse they suffered at the hands of Michael Jackson. Um, well, that's not how they describe it, actually. It's a very complicated story of child abuse, grooming, affection. Uh, yeah, it's difficult to watch. Um, you know, it gets quite graphic in descriptions and looking at the way they're, they're trauma survivors, so how they've come to terms with what happened to be able to talk about it, much less talk about it on screen in a film that's making waves around the world. That has been on my list. I'm a little bit nervous, a little scared, but I have been, you know, reading about it and, yeah. Yeah, very much. Um, yeah, I recently did some travelling um, and I watched it in North America where it aired with the Oprah special afterwards, right. which I think I think it did help to have that special afterwards where it brings out the two men, Wade and uh, Jimmy, and director Dan Reed, to talk about the making of the film as much as 
the revelations in it and what's happened since and what it's done to them, the experiencing in the first place, but also now having it out in the world. I have to see it, uh, yeah. definitely, but yeah. I um, but I have a, an overall idea of what, what the documentary gives you. But what, what do you get from the Oprah special? Like what ha- what is... Because the film, the two-part film, is very much... First part is the experience, and it's quite graphic in the descriptions. Um, second part is aftermath and when Michael Jackson's attentions moved on to younger boys as Wade and Jimmy were growing up. Um, yeah, it looks at how they've navigated adulthood, what it took for them to finally acknowledge the abuse because they denied it for years because Wade Robson actually took the stand to defend Michael Jackson in one of the cases. So he speaks about that and speaks about lying on the stand and having come to terms with that. So that comes out as well. That's what Oprah sort of is asking about. And it's interesting in that, you know, Oprah's a survivor of abuse and the audience I think was also populated with um, survivors as well. So it's, it's talking about that and how they've gone through it and also their mothers are very much in this film, right? both boys, now men's mothers, but also one of the mums is aware of it but can't watch the part where her son Wade describes what happened and that's something that... So that yeah. suggests that she is in some sort of denial. Yeah, still. just like knowing that he... Like also guilt in terms of oh, how, right. how, letting her son, you know, sleep in Michael Jackson's bed, yeah. So anyway, I... Think absolutely watch it. And the whole reckoning of how do people now yeah. how do you relate to Michael Jackson music? Do you will you I mean that's the question, the, isn't it? What I mean, what do everywhere. we do what do we do with this now? You can't like as they like to say, cancel Michael Jackson. Mm. He is everywhere. His music is in everything. Um and it's all it's so deep in um in the culture and has yeah. been for so long. Now what do you do? Like my three year old's favorite song is Beat It. Mm. Wants to hear it. Really? Con- yeah, it's <laughs> not, not one of the best. Yeah. <laughs> but he wants to, that's all he wants to listen to mm. over and over again. And my eight year old, uh, he performed Smooth Criminal at his school. Mm. I mean, what, what are we supposed to do yeah. with all of this now? Yeah. I suspect it, it's a matter of time. Um, well, see, Simpsons have taken the Michael Jackson episode out of yeah, syndication. Right. It won't be on future box sets or, com- um, you know, compilations. Radio stations are playing his songs less. Some, yeah. It, I mean, it, it's an important conversation to have. Like, where do you draw the line? I think, you know, individually you should consider where you want to draw the line on these. Um, where where did you come down? You know, I... I don't know if you're a huge Michael Jackson fan or whatever, yeah, but... Sure. I think the music is great. And on a personal note, in terms of describing your son's dancing and whatnot... We did a thriller flash mob here. I know all the moves to the thriller dance. There you go. I dressed up like the lady in the pink dress, the zombie there, had the makeup and everything. So Facebook reminds me of that every year on the anniversary <laughs> of my having posted that. Can't share that much anymore, can I? Which is fine. Which is fine. Right. So I was a fan. And um, the year, the Christmas Eve it was when the thriller video was first announced, like 1983, my sister and I were pestering our parents to get home so that we could watch that in time. Huge fans. Yeah. yeah. Um, difficult, difficult time. I mean, that you know, compared to what the boys went through, obviously yeah, it's right. nothing of course, of course. to relate to. Uh, I'm also interested in a follow-up where there's a documentary maybe similar to the OJ one where they explain how the culture let this go right. for so long, right. where, it, where it was kind of in, not an in, inside joke, but a, we all know it's going on and we all wacko jacko. Uh, it's kind of funny. 
when whole, this yeah. horrible things are happening. Uh, well, he was hiding in plain sight. Like yeah. it was, yeah. Yeah. I want, yeah, I'm curious about that story. Mm, that's probably the next step, I think. Yeah. For sure. There is some suggestion that these two guys may be getting paid off or something. I mean, uh, or mm-hmm. that there's, um, I guess on, and the Jackson family has issued, we have to mention that they've issued denials, mm. right, about all of this. Michael Jackson himself had denied um, yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah, at yeah. the time. Correct. Um, I don't know. It, but I, from what I can tell, it sounds like they would have to be tremendous actors to be pulling this off. Yeah. They look visibly uncomfortable talking about things. Like you would be incredible actors and everyone should hire them <laughs> immediately. If they, if, but, yeah, the body language alone when they're describing things, it's very telling. And I thoroughly believe them, yeah. But there is an element of people, especially on Twitter, because, of course, there is on Twitter. Yeah, I did a tweet about some of the Australian references in it because Wade Robson is yeah, Australian and there's early footage from Australian, like agro, may not mean anything to you, but uh, Australian morning television. Hashtag leaving Neverland and instantly there's a robot or a troll or someone who sends me a link to a YouTube video that tells the true story about Wade Robson. Like there's there's people mobilised right. to quiet down criticism of Michael Jackson. Um, obviously there's a legacy to protect for people who are uh, invested in this and if his back catalogue disappears then some people are not going to make do you much think, money. But do you think some people are uncomfortable with the fact that this is coming out after He's died. He can't defend himself yeah. or whatever. Not that. Sure. Yeah. I mean, there, there were, look, there were, you know, there was a trial, but uh, that that's a question Oprah asks actually, like, is this easier now that he's dead to do? And yeah, <laughs> it is literally. Yeah. Sure. And yeah, the fact that revelations in a documentary, accusations in a documentary can have this kind of impact, it's telling. And yeah, if they weren't true, then, well, I think they're true. Uh, that would be Completely damaging, but I think it would be a big call to call this false. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Worth watching when you're in a place to be able to do so. And you can catch up with Leaving Neverland, the two-part feature-length documentary, at 10 Play. What have you been watching? Um, I've been watching um, Game of Thrones. Oh. Because um, the new season is starting next month, the new and final season, mm. and so I wanted to catch up uh, and rewatch everything from the beginning I haven't always found it so exciting, and I thought maybe in a binge scenario it would be fun, and uh, I was right. It is a very watchable, fun uh, show. Very entertaining. Everybody in it's pretty entertaining. I'm pretty invested. Sean Bean gets it in the first series. Have you watched it? No. It's, uh, no. I'm not that interested. You're not curious at all? Look, I understand it's a cultural phenomenon. It's passing me by and I'm okay with that. It's this if I watched it, probably I would be sucked into it. It's it just doesn't appeal to me, I've have to be honest. And Swords and Sandals. Is that what broadly, you don't like? The genre isn't fantasy for me, yeah, I have to say. But but then I know I friends who much the same, but love it. So look, yeah. whatever. Anyway, no. It's not my conversation to have. I don't watch it. So I don't um it, don't begrudge anyone else who's obsessed. Yeah, I'm not a fantasy person either, but Somehow this this goes beyond that for me. Mm, okay. Um, and I also, I mean, I don't mind a little sword and sandal. I like Spartacus. I think that's mm. fun. Ben-Hur is a good movie. Um, Going back a while there. For, <laughs> they don't have dragons in them. Gladiator kind of irritated me last time I saw it. But anyway, um, but I, yeah, um, I think Are it's they fun. Are the same eras? Not sure. Yeah, I think you've broadened the 
definition. Oh, I have, haven't yeah, I? Yeah, I don't, this, Those aren't fantasy. And it's they don't not, have dragons. Yeah. This has I the, did make that point, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think Gladiator could have used a couple of dragons, if we're being honest. Now that we have a distance and we can look back on it clearly. Um, yeah, I don't know. So that's all. Just okay. having a good time. Just having, just having fun with it. Good. Uh, I don't think Peter Dinklage's accent is that great. And this might be common knowledge amongst the GOT um, heads out there. But, um, yeah, uh, it just doesn't sound that British to me. Okay. Oh, you haven't heard it. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, my God. Maybe we'll get a... uh... Let's get some sound of Peter Dinklage's accent on there. My father's probably the most powerful man in the country, certainly the richest. He has all seven kingdoms in his pockets. Everyone, everywhere, always has to do exactly what my father says. He's always been a... Um, But he's great. Accent aside, he's fantastic and he's very funny and he's fun and uh, and I like watching him uh, do his schemes and what have you. Anyway, so yeah, Game of Thrones, uh, you can catch up on, it's on Foxtel on their on-demand service and next month it's coming, uh, the new and final season. Get ready. Winter is coming. Well, that's all the time we have for our show. Covered a lot there. Please go to wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to SBS The Playlist. Leave us a review. It helps people find the show. If you want to get in touch, we're at SBS Movies on Facebook and Twitter. I'm on Twitter at Nick Bassine. I'm on Twitter at Anything But Fifi. The Playlist is produced by Jeremy Wilmot. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Need a few minutes to reset? Great Minds is a podcast from SBS that guides you through different meditation styles from around the world. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.